Hey y'all, welcome back to a Monday, July 18th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, fun show for you guys. First timer over here from CBS Sports, Danny Vietti. Uh, he was a lot of fun to talk to and uh, talk all things Major League Baseball on our Sunday Night Baseball edition to hear on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, really, really fun to talk about the MLB draft, some balls going up. Uh, early in that one, uh, Josh Hader story. We got Seattle Mariners who are in the playoffs. If the playoffs started today, that's very cool. Uh, what a Juan Soto trade would look like. Uh, why there might be a sneaky, interesting team for them, uh, for him rather. Uh, best fake trade um, available. Like what might be the best fake trade deadline trade uh, for the uh, the upcoming trade deadline in Major League Baseball. So that was interesting to think about. And then the Brewers, who are always a kind of weird team to forecast, who just keep doing what they're doing and uh, winning the NL Central and what to make of Christian Yelich in 2022 and where he is as a player. So a lot of fun with Danny talking all things Major League Baseball. I think you guys will enjoy it here on a Monday on the Chase Most Podcast. So thank you, as always, for making the Chase Most Podcast here on the Blue Wire Pod Network, uh, part of your daily listen wherever However you listen to the Chase Most Podcast, I greatly appreciate it. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure that you are also subscribed on YouTube as we continue growing out the YouTube page, youtube.com slash Chase Most Podcast. Like and subscribe, all the good stuff over there. Every episode, video component as well. Um, so go check it out on that front. Um, read me, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Tweet at me, Chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, all right. Chase Thomas Podcast on a Monday. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back. Sunday Night Baseball here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am now joined by a first-timer. He was telling me all about, before we got started, he was like, Chase, I know you're a big Knoxville guy, all Tennessee. Uh, what is it like, Drew Gilbert being the first Tennessee volunteer taken in the draft? And we got Jordan Beck not too long ago going to the Rockies where he's going to hit a billion dingers. So shout out to my guy, Mike Concho. But Danny Vietti is here. Danny, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm all right. I'm just glad Beck got taken in the first round because that guy and his mentality and attitude is exactly what Major League Baseball uh, welcomes in this age. So, uh, yeah, I... I hope he's going to have a great career because I love watching his college career. It, being able to watch up close and personal uh, the last couple years, him, Gilbert, all those guys. Um, I, it was one of those I just told the fiance before we got started here. I was like, it's bittersweet. You see it and you're like, they were already gone anyway. Like they were they were going to be gone no matter what. But man, like to just because especially when you're in co- like the college and they're just more and uh, just what I do and covering the team and things like that, where you're just up close and personal and you get to see their rise from like maybe like Drew Gilbert just became this phenomenon over a couple of year stretch. And Jordan Beck was good last year, but he wasn't this, but just seeing them develop um, over the course of their time in Knoxville was pretty great. And I don't know if, if yeah. folks saw this or not, but Tony Botello on the broadcast. So it was all Tennessee all the time this evening, uh, a great recruiting pitch. So I don't know who at major league baseball is responsible for getting coach Botello on there, but shout out to them. Uh, they're, they're about it. You guys weren't well liked this year, though. Like, <laughs> in the headlines, like everybody, they were enemy number one. The Volunteers were by far probably the most talented team all season long. 
I'm not a college baseball reporter by any means, but I just every headline I saw, everybody was reading against the Volunteers this year. Well, it was playing with attitude. Um, they did not lose a home series the entire year. People don't like dominance. Like that's just something like Alabama. People don't like Alabama. People don't like the Patriots. There's something about dominance that just rubs a lot of people the wrong way, and they're looking for reasons to dislike you. And like this was a confident bunch, but. By and large, like, I, I don't know. Everyone does celebrations. Like, the Virginia Tech does the sledgehammer. Uh, Notre Dame does the bomb. Like, it's that's just kind of how college baseball is. So, it's very, like, it's a better sport, even as the NCAA introduced a rule to get rid of all props and stuff for next year. So, hopefully that does not pass because that uh, is a thing nobody asks for and um, nobody actually wants. But it's, uh, it's a fun thing. But it's... You know, uh, this is a, uh, a confident bunch of guys, but it's also just fun. And the guys who they are off the field versus on, I mean, I don't know. I'm going to miss those guys, and they're good people. And this was a very misunderstood bunch uh, by folks who were not uh, there personally. But, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. A lot of people were cheering and very, very happy when Tennessee went down the Super Regionals to Notre Dame. But, you know, uh, it's baseball, college baseball especially, is a different sport entirely where it's not like Alabama where you're the – best team you're more often than not going to win the national title college baseball doesn't work like that you can win the sec tournament you can win literally every single home series you have all year long and you still can go down before you even get to the college world series the last three number ones didn't even get out of the super regional so it's not a forgiving sport and two things can be true tennessee was the best baseball team in the country this year and they also did not win a title like no one would ever say Ole Miss is the best baseball. Like they barely got in. Barely. They had a horrific season. Barely got in. I don't know why the two can't be true. Like Tennessee was the best team in the country and they still didn't win. That's just how the sport works. That's OK. That's why you love baseball, right? I mean, Ole Miss was the last yeah. team. In. I call, exactly. I agree. Call it, like I generally like my expertise is big leagues, but college baseball, I said this time and time and again, is the best product baseball has to offer. It's organic. Mm. And it's fighting for each other. Like I had the opportunity to play a couple of years, one year NCAA and then a couple in NAIA. It doesn't matter mm. what like, D1, D2, D3, NAIA. It doesn't really matter. Junior college, uh, there's nothing like it. It's baseball at its greatest, in its purest form. I, I love it. I mean, I would, if I could make a career covering college baseball, I probably would. That avenue hasn't uh, opened up for me yet. But, uh, you know, it's definitely my favorite to watch. It's just so much more fun to be there. Like, I mean, being a big Braves guy, you got that behind me. And like, Major League Baseball, they're just different. Like, I just like, it's just like the NFL and college where they're, di- I get different things from both and you have a different perspective on both. But like, if I have a choice between like a packed Lindsey Nelson for Tennessee, Arkansas versus like a big Braves versus Philly series, I just, the, being in the building for a ten- that Tennessee one's insane. Like, I've been, like, those games are just, so much more tense the players and the atmosphere and i don't know it's just different it's a different different vibe and you get different kind of stuff like it's not the best players in the world and a lot of these guys will never play major league baseball but that's just not like you said it's just not what it's about it's just they're playing a lot of these guys for joy where like evan russell can be a left fielder the previous year and then he's like all right we need a catcher i'll convert to catcher and just be the full-time catcher for the year and be the heart and soul of this team that's fine like that's just college baseball where you don't even know where guys are going to line up year to year it's pretty insane like trey liscom can just sit for three years and doesn't ever play and then becomes one of the best hitters in college baseball his one year starting like it's insanity what can happen in college baseball but the downside is there's just so many teams 
And there's so much going on throughout the year where it's like you can't keep up with Cal State Fullerton. Major League Baseball, you can keep up with how everybody's doing, where everybody's at, stats, all that kind of stuff. College baseball is just so difficult during the year to keep up with in terms of how teams look and everything. It's like Tennessee, I can uh, completely understand the SEC, but you go outside, it's there's just too much else going on. It's uh, it's a really, really hard sport, I think, to cover full-time as a, as a national product versus baseball, right? I mean – not to mention the transfer portal doesn't exactly oh, make God. Things, you know like i we have a whole social team here at cbs under the 247 sports brand and they mm-hmm. don't focus on college baseball as much they they're mostly college baseball college basketball but you know we have a daily call with those guys and, and every single day like we have off times here mm-hmm. like mostly focused on college basketball college football on the social side of things here at cbs sports and then so we have you know summertime is kind of easy these poor mm-hmm. guys or seven sports, this has become like a year round job for these guys. Like these guys don't get a break. Um, shout out AJ King, who's been the head of their social every day. This guy has 10 big five star, four star guys transferring. Some guys entered the transfer portable, uh, excuse me, portal. I was a starting quarterback last year for some big conference every day. Like it, like it mm-hmm. did ever ever evolving and i know college baseball has been so uh, you know exciting and uh, ever changing as well do you well you have a co-host in your podcast will middlebrooks very good major league baseball player for several years did he regret the a&m stuff because now they're powered have you ever talked to him about the a&m aspect of it all the time that's a good question all the time uh so yeah he had that full ride scholarship so he what, what he wanted to do he wanted to do college football and college baseball mm-hmm. uh Quarterback in high school, he wanted to play quarterback and play baseball. Problem was, AM told him, look, you can be the punter and you can play ball, but we're not going to let you be the quarterback and play mm. ball as well. So that kind of uh, put a damper in things. So, you know, once the Red Sox came calling, Theo Epstein said, here's a couple million dollars for your signing bonus. That was hard to turn down. So it was either option A, go SEC, be a punter and play baseball, and then take your chances with the MLB draft later on. Or option B, you sign your contract with the Boston Red Sox immediately, get a couple million dollar signing bonus, and uh, you know the rest is history from there. I think he ended up making the wise decision, considering he ended up winning a World Series in 2013. Um, his injuries definitely derailed his career toward the end, but uh, I know he kind of reiterate that same sentiment. He definitely made the right decision. Well, because y'all both played, and I mean especially younger he obviously could have played in college you played in college do you think with nil and everything and guys that you talk to do you think you're going to see more guys even if they get drafted out of high school um that they're going to be like well this program's pretty solid they're putting a lot of dudes in the pros like vandy tennessee arkansas lsu whoever that is get a really good nil deal and just re-enter the draft in a couple years because the money will be there and we can still make a really good amount of money and also just be a kid for a little bit longer and not have to grind in double a AA and triple a and i mean i was at the smokies game last night and like biloxi those guys like those double a guys like this just i was telling the fiance i'm like it's a grind these dudes have to get up for this like it is rough this is not the major league baseball like everything's awesome all the time though no, this is a grind and i wonder if we're going to see more guys uh, opt for the college route at least for a little bit longer. What do you think? It's such a loaded question because, in regards to the NIL, it's like yes, you could say okay if you go over to Tennessee, for example, mm. big bucks as a college baseball player, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars a year doing endorsements. I don't know, I'm just kind of mm. um, kind of pulling that out of thin air. But maybe a really big time dude could. 
Mm. However, on the MLB draft, that's guaranteed. So that's yeah. fine. Bonus, whatever they get is absolutely guaranteed. So I think that's still going to be in favor when you have option A, MLB draft, guaranteed signing bonus versus uh, option B, which is go to college, risk maybe not getting drafted later on. You have potential for an IL deal, mm-hmm. but again, it, nothing's guaranteed. Um, I think the opportunities for college baseball still are limited just because the fandom and uh, just frankly, the eyes on college baseball really just aren't as great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think at least initially, it's still kind of up in the air and kind of um, uh, tough to answer because I still think it's still working itself out NIL wise. But again, mm-hmm. hard to turn down guaranteed money. It, it really is. Well, I also just think like, I, I it's funny when people just get really up in arms about like, oh, I prefer college over pro. I prefer pro to college and the, the vitriol you'll see sometimes. And it's like, no, I, I love Major League Baseball and I love college baseball. I love them for different things and I um, appreciate them for different things. And I wonder for players, like there is something where Drew Gilbert is now going to be grinding, but at least he he was not going to be that kind of player out of high school um, and drafted 28th overall. If he had, That was not a thing, but he had his moment and he got to grow as a player and he got, if you are under the right coach, you are under the right system, then you're able to really grow. And I mean, like it, it, if you're at a power five or a, just a power program now, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good situation. And with NIL, I think that's only growing at a lot of these schools. And I, I just, I'm curious because there is something about it where you, you can see these guys really care. They really care. And like their basketball team. So with NIL too, what I've seen on college campuses is that like, I think there's more um, togetherness among all the sports. So a lot of sports teams are all coming together, supporting one another, where it's like, we'll do an autograph signing at these games. We're going to come show out. And like, we want you guys to become bigger names and we're helping get more people there for you guys so that you guys can have bigger NIL opportunities because more people are in the building and things like that, where, I mean, there were so many games where it was standing room only at a college game this year at UT. Like it was bonkers how packed it was at all times. And I think, Guys really like that. I wonder if more and more guys, because these games are getting better television slots and more and more people are tuning in, it's just one of those things where I think Major League Baseball would be wise to, you know, hey, this is another great product that we love and you guys would love too. And learn about these guys. Like if you're a Houston Astros fan and you have this, it's like Drew Gilbert, you could have seen like his rise. You're like, oh man, we just got like Brett Gardner with an attitude. Like this is going to be, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait for this guy to play in our organization for the next 10 years. Like that is something that college football and the NFL have just mastered where in the first round, all these guys you already know about, you already knew about every quarterback coming in. And I think that's something that they have an opportunity in major league baseball now, because a lot of guys, a lot of people knew who Kumar rocker was. A lot of people know who drew Jones is. A lot of people know, um, are tuning in more and more to the draft and more and more into these stars. And you just ask an average major league baseball fan and they knew what Tennessee was this year. They knew that everybody hated Tennessee and that they were killing everyone. Like there is real value in building up the college product to get those stars in people's minds before they get to major league baseball. I think, uh, I think that's something to monitor for the next couple of years. If we get more stars sticking around a little bit longer. Jack Leiter was another guy that yeah. was making a name for himself in Vanderbilt. I, mm-hmm. I don't a guy coming out of the MLB draft, at least in recent years, that got more publicity other mm-hmm. than maybe a Steven Strasburg, Bryce Harper. I mean, I yeah. remember as we're drafted, 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, um, 
Strasburg coming out of SDSU and then Harper coming out uh, out of a junior college. Um, mm. But lighter, the attention that guy got him and both Kumar, uh, him and Kumar Rocker at Vanderbilt. I don't remember two guys, definitely not two guys on the same team getting that much attention. My dad and I actually were talking about the mm. MLB. We were kind of batting around ideas like, how do we make the MLB draft more interesting? Mm. And let's just call a spade a spade. The MLB draft isn't as interesting as NBA, NFL, because it's such a crapshoot. Mm. Yeah, we can go to the NFL and talk about busts and however many work out, however many don't. But it, you know, the proof is in the pudding that the MLB be draining because we don't see these guys for four years five years um sometimes most cases we don't see these guys ever at the big league Mm -hmm. state and so my dad was saying his idea um and i'm kind of mixed on whether i agree with it or not he basically said he wanted to create a g league essentially like the nba does Mm -hmm. and have instead of a g league it's your triple a and so you have major league baseball level one Triple A level two. Other than that, you have nothing. You don't have any other affiliates after that. And so his reason for this format is you only draft players to help your big league club. You don't draft hmm. players to develop them. You don't draft players so that in four or five years maybe they turn into a star. You draft players to help your big league club. Hmm. So the NBA in the NBA, you don't draft Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, well, I guess he was kind of a, that's a bad example because he was more of a uh, development, you know, later right. on. I get what you're saying. You don't draft Chet Holmgren because you think he's going to be good in four years. You draft Chet mm-hmm. Holmgren you want him to help your team immediately. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I don't know how it would quite work because you're. Just, I asked him, like, what, are you just going to get rid of all these minor league affiliates? He basically said they could turn it into their own independent leagues, whatever. So, it was a, it was strictly theory, strictly hypothetical, but I found it interesting that th- that is going against Major League Baseball because we don't see these players for four to five years. But if you incentivize a draft where you want to draft players to help your current team, that mm-hmm. would have you know help the interest in the game. I found it interesting. Well, I mean, I don't know if we're that far away from something closer to that model. Like, I I don't think they're. I don't think Major League Baseball and the situation with minor league pay and everything else is great. Like, I don't think we've already lost a lot of low A teams anyway. So, I mean, 30 years from now, 20 years from now, like it only being a AAA kind of model, like that wouldn't surprise me. Like that wouldn't blow my mind. I don't, I, I think that would make Major League Baseball teams lives a lot easier. I think it would... <sighs> It's one of those things where because it's been done for so long a certain way, like it would just be such a culture shock and such a crazy thing to even consider. But if you threw out this model now, kind of like what you and your dad were talking about, where it's like here you're just going to draft somebody for five years from now and you're going to develop like and you're it's going to take forever. And a lot of them aren't even going to get into the league and a lot of them aren't even like that's a weird model to suggest where that's a weird way of building things. But I I do wonder, because a lot of those guys, they're older when they get drafted. So if you do the AAA model, it's like you don't want... We haven't seen that really. A bunch of 19-year-olds immediately playing on the White Sox or immediately playing on the Braves, where it's like that those couple of years, that would be weird, is like the 40-year-old, like a, a roster where it's like you have 
uh, 37, 37, 38, and then 18, 18, 18. Like there's no middle ground because it's either the guys you just drafted or the guys who actually made it a career and have been in the league forever. Like that would be a weird locker room dynamic, I think. No doubt. And I think my biggest rebuttal to it was it could be very dangerous because you're going to mm-hmm. have GMs that draft a 19-year-old kid. And his, in his theory, again, it was mm-hmm. too MLB AAA. There's kids that are 19 years old that are not ready for AAA, not at mm-hmm. that 18 years old, whatever it may be. Now, in four years, maybe after they put some more body on their, or excuse me, more weight on their body, uh, mm-hmm. they again develop a little bit more, and uh, you know maybe they develop into something. But it can be dangerous because I could already see it now. You have GM. Um, he really likes Drew Jones. Has a relationship with his dad. Let's draft Drew Jones and immediately send him up to AAA. And, I mean, a lot of us saw Moneyball in the situation with Billy Bean. Sometimes you throw people into the fire and it just does not work out. And you mm-hmm. can completely derail a, pl- a young player's career had you just moved them along maybe a little bit slower. Maybe they could have developed into something. So that was my biggest rebuttal was you're going to throw 18, 19, 20-year-old kids into a fire that maybe they're not ready for. That was my biggest uh, rebuttal for him. I mean, look at Mondesi in Kansas City. We saw that play out in real time. Like, he's never been the same. Uh, but it's a fine line. It's not an exact science. You have no idea. Like, Michael Harris did not have one AAA at bat and was like, it's fine. I'm just going to be an everyday player and an all-star in 2024. It's fine. Like, it's I'm ready to go. Like, no one saw this coming. Like, the bra- like it's such a crapshoot, like you said, where Christian Pache was just pegged as the guy. And he's a center fielder for the future. This is it. He can't. He, he keeps getting sit down in AAA. He still is just someone who cannot put it together because it's really hard being a Major League Baseball player. It's really, really hard uh, to be a consistent Major League Baseball player. And Michael Harris makes it look easy. And Christian Pache is like a cautionary tale where it's like, yeah, the tools are there and he has it. And he's still super young. He can get there. But man, <laughs> you can think of guys as ready as humanly possible, even in AAA. And it's just, it doesn't work like that. Being a Major League, everyday, great Major League Baseball player is another thing entirely and i'm sure like will's told you all kinds of stories of guys he's seen like even in batting practice or anything else where he's like they're on my team and i don't understand like they should be great like i see them in practice or i see this and they just didn't work out for whatever reason like there's a lot that goes into being a long-time successful baseball player and if it was easy everybody would do it but most don't and most flame out that's it's just it's a rough it's a rough thing he was in triple a with colorado springs um Mm -hmm. With Milwaukee, and they brought up a guy named Josh Hader, and yeah. he told a story where he had, you know, he had the long flow, he threw mm. hard, he had that lefty arm slot. We obviously know who Josh Hader is now. At the time, he was a nobody, right. uh, and he said this kid had electric stuff, and nobody could hit him. But the problem is, he also couldn't throw strikes. Mm. And he said it wasn't any certain thing; it wasn't any certain person that gave him the um, the, the Quizlet answers, any certain test. It was as simple as something clicked one day for Josh Hader. I don't know if it was maturity. Who knows what it was exactly? Maybe Josh could tell us one day. But mm-hmm. he said sudden something clicked for Josh Hader down there in AAA. He started throwing strikes more, and it didn't matter where he was putting the ball because he has such electric stuff. Nobody was hitting it. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, like, to your, I'm just kind of reiterating your point. Everybody develops differently. Some mm-hmm. people. Late. Some people peak early. Some people never peak at all. But everybody's on different timelines. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to get rid of all minor league baseball because back to that original theory, unfortunately, the those that would suffer from this model 
would be minor leaguers who already are getting screwed by minor league baseball and their pay and major league baseball and their pay and all the benefits or lack thereof that they get. So, uh, yeah, it, it, again, it, it's more, have you a, run this by will not yet. I'm actually, we're planning okay. on recording a podcast this next week. I was going to bring it up to him. I'm very curious to hear what his thoughts are actually. How is your view of baseball? And we'll get into current baseball stuff after this, but like, how is your, how is your current, the lens through which you see current baseball change since you've been talking with Will on the podcast? It's a good question. I mean, I definitely have more of a respect just for players in general. Not that I mm. have it already, but uh, just the grind that these guys go through. You mm-hmm. kind of mentioned it with minor leagues. I mean, you really have to love this game. Like, you have to put your family, your friends, your entire life beside you to make it. Mm. Um, at least for most of these guys. And not to mention, too, I think not even just through Will, but through my own friends. I have a handful of other friends that I played in college with, and they're still. Uh, I graduated in 2018, so that would be mm-hmm. four years ago. And then I have a couple buddies of mine that are um, – one of them still in single A. Um, one of them, Michael Stefanik, who just made his MLB debut with the Angels mm-hmm. weeks ago. So – like this is four years later. Like I've been kind of trying to build my own career ever since college for four years now. These guys are still playing ball. They've been going on six hour road trips every three days, every Mm -hmm. days down in the minor leagues. Um, It's not easy, man. You have to love this game out of college. I remember I got a phone call from some Canadian team and I had the opportunity to go play um, you know, for Cracker Jacks and Peanuts basically is what I'd be getting paid every single day. And I just didn't love the game like that, mm. not playing wise. Um, I, I've definitely come to obviously love the game, covering it, watching it, um, podcasting, writing articles, um, the, the nuances there. But um, you really have to love this game. And I, 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 that's something I learned is I think I came to the realization when I was a kid, I thought I loved the game enough to play Major League Baseball. And I thought, you know, talent aside, I thought I loved it enough. I've came to learn. I don't think I loved it like like I thought I did. Like not like these players do. That's interesting. I mean, that is. I, I like that you said like the whole the the different lens through which you see players because that's how. I mean, especially with coaches, I talk to so many college coaches and so many coaches now that I I'll hear people or like family and friends of mine who will rip these coaches and blah blah blah. They're, the money they're making, I'm like, bro, you have no idea what kind of day to day their situation is. It, it, it is a horrifying time to be in that position it at change every day you bait like the hours the time the transfer port like everything that's in play for these guys every day it's like yeah you can be well compensated and still be a human being and look at them and like hey man this is a really really tough thing and um going after players going after coaches it's just if you spend a lot of time interviewing folks and talking to folks and really getting to know them i think you'll see the game differently i think you'll treat people differently and you'll you will just not see them as like a a, a, just this is this figure that you like just non-human like it's just it's one of those things you really will change how you view it because whatever general sentiment you had i guarantee if you spent 20 minutes 20 minutes with them in a room and got to know them you'd be like man i may have been a little too hard ripping this person and been uh, a little bit too over the top it's tough too in the media too though because you make relationship with certain players i've had a number of uh i obviously can't share it anymore publicly but i've had a number of uh especially during the uh the negotiations during the blackout um Mm. or uh my not the blackout i'm sorry lockout lockout thank you Mm. 
Well, they do have a blackout problem, so please fix that because like <laughs> Iowa fans can't watch the Cubs and White Sox and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they should fix that. Yeah. That that's definitely an issue. But the lockout, uh, Brooksy has a really good re- relationship with Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller mm. was the representative throughout the entire lockout negotiations. I was hearing a lot of things through certain sources. Obviously, you know who those sources are now. Mm. But I share that because then you ruin that relationship that you yeah. have with Will or with Andrew or whomever is involved, who whomever is in that group text, what's going on. So you just have to be careful with any type of reporting you're doing. And, and like you said, you don't want to ruin that relationship because let's say hypothetically you break news and you say player X took steroids, according to the sources, and you get that 48 hours of fame, you get on a couple of radio shows, you be, you're featured in a couple articles and, and, and for what, you know what I mean? And keep this in mind. I'm not saying don't be a good reporter. I'm simply saying no, the consequences that come with it. Because if you are paid to be a reporter, you do have an obligation to report those things. Right. Uh, at the same time, just know what you're getting into when you accept that job. Because my job title is not reporter. Mm-hmm. So when I'm hearing these things from Andrew or Will or whomever I was in that group text with, my job wasn't to report the news. So yeah. just understand, like, if you're going to be a reporter in this gig, understand, like, you're going to piss some people off. Or, or, or else you're not going to do your job at the best of your abilities. I would agree. Um, a team that's pissed me off for the most of the year that does not has not pissed me off for a while because I'm really, really, really excited because Fangraphs, John Taylor and I, we do this every Tuesday on the pod. I've been saying, I was like, look, the Mariners, the long playoff drought, it's insanity. Just keep going for it. You were almost there last year. The offense is good. You look at all the offensive numbers. You go through the WRC Plus. You go through this lineup, and you go through the Julio Rodriguez has hit. That's been great. Ty France, obviously a great year. You go up and down this list. It's like they don't really have any weaknesses other than some starting pitching. Like they need some more starting pitching. You can find that at the deadline. You can find some stuff. And yeah, you're not going to catch the Astros. But I was like, the playoffs are in reach. So this was like a month and a half ago where I was like, I really hope DePoto doesn't fold. I really hope that they keep the faith and that they, with the expanded wild card and everything else, they're a team that I was so curious because it felt like the numbers were going against what should have been happening for a while, that they were just a really unlucky team. And now the Mariners just may never lose ever again. And they're riding this hot wave and they're really, they're just right there in the playoff uh, chase. And I'm excited. But if you had to explain why the Mariners are just playing such good baseball right now and that this is, they've kind of turned the corner in this way, how would you do it, Danny? It's been the pitching. I, it, it's the simple answer is pitching. They've had since June 1st, they've had the best ERA in baseball. Now before yeah. June, it was the New York Yankees. Yeah. You see, Yankees have been able to accomplish with that once upon a time to a best team or ERA. The mm-hmm. Mariners are now reaping those same benefits. Um, Chris Flexen really stumbled out of the gates. He's kind of regained his 2021 shape. Chris Flexen's not a dominant starter. I'm not trying to make that argument here, but he's a formidable number four starter in that rotation. Mm-hmm. Logan Gilbert's been fantastic all year round. Uh, Robbie Ray is Cy Young, Robbie Ray. Mm-hmm. He's been one of the best pitchers in the American League. He's got a sub two ERA over his past like eight starts. Um, there were, so their rotation's been good. Their bullpen was really shaky earlier. Right, they had a uh, they were in the bottom ten in Major League Baseball through the first month and a half of the season. Their bullpen ERA 
Since then, they've been in the top 10. So their bullpen mm. finally starting to find their roles now. And then the offense, too, guys like A. Eugenio Suarez, he's hitting some balls that are going a long ways. He's kind of looking like his 2019 self. And that's to go along with complimenting guys like you just mentioned, Julio Rodriguez, Ty France, your all-star type players. And this is what really excites me is, yes, they're going to have to make some moves at the deadline. I couldn't agree with you more. But they're also going to get Mitch Hanniger back. Right. As, as expected to get Mitch Hanniger back. This is a guy that was their team leader last year, him and Kyle Seeger in the clubhouse. He's also a guy that hit 40 home runs, nearly 100 RBIs last season. So that's another bat they're going to add to your lineup. You mentioned starting pitching and just pitching depth in general. There's not a lot of big ticket items, at least mm. in years past during as we approach this deadline. But the biggest tickets that will be available are likely going to be Luis Castillo, Frankie Montas, two big-time starting pitchers. So that could make things interesting. Frankie's the one who makes the most sense to me. And I don't think he'll cost nearly as much as what Luis Castillo would probably cat Because I don't think the Reds are any rush. I think they're like, if there's not a good offer, we're not just moving him to move him. Because um, he seems okay there, and they're okay with that. So if they, you don't blow them away with a Dodgers like offer, that's why the Dodgers popped up. It's like the Dodgers have the farm. If they really want Luis Castillo, they can go get Luis Castillo. But if you're the Mariners, you have to be really careful <laughs> with this. And it's like, do you include Jerry Clinic in any of this stuff? Like, that's one where you're like, mm, do we have to just <laughs> bite the bullet there where it's like he might just need to go somewhere else? Like maybe. And that's someone who the A's would love to take a flyer on. Like they just did that with uh, Christian Pache. Like Billy Bean is that kind of guy where they're going to keep throwing darts at the wall with these young guys. And they're like, eventually these guys are going to hit. And if there's one thing people are dunking on the A's, They've been extremely successful the last 10 years. Like you go through this, the A's, this is all new and people who are laughing and dancing on their grave right now. And I'm like, the A's are going to be bounced back. Like it makes no sense. And I understand when you look at the farm and you look at this major league roster right now, you're like, oh, this is going to be horrific for the next five to 10 years. That's not, that's never been the case uh, under the Billy Bean era. It's literally never been the case. So it, no, that's the problem is that Billy, Billy Bean proves to their ownership group that they don't have to spend money. They don't right. have to the bathrooms in the Coliseum. They don't have, they, they're okay with sewage problems at the Coliseum because mm-hmm. they games regardless of how much money they spend on their, on their roster every single yeah. week. That's the problem. Like that's the big issue here. They up the ticket prices in the Coliseum this year for no reason at all, <laughs> other than because they can't. And John Fisher, their owner does not care about his fans. Like that's evident. So that's the problem is Oakland is they continue to win games. Not this year. But they continue to win games and, and continue to have that quick one, two-year rebuilds or back in contention despite not spending money at all, not taking care of their fans at all. Would you include Clinic in a Montes trade? It's tough. You have to, you have to consider your outfield depth. I think mm-hmm. Mel is obviously what the Seattle Mariners would rather offer. than You hitting right now. Uh, what was that, sir? Yeah, he's hitting right now. I mean, he's someone like he's still – What? how old is he? Yeah, he's only 24. Right, right. I think he's more expendable than Kellenic because I still hmm. think Kellen just won one player of the week last week in the PCL. Like the dude, hmm. really, what they wanted him to work on was his strikeout rate and his walk rate, which is obviously hmm. there's uh, scouts are putting more and more weight on those numbers. Like that's what hmm. people see at the big league level. So, I mean, last year, Kellenic, last year during the last month of the season, he had like seven home runs, if I remember correctly. Like, he was actually mm-hmm. hitting the ball well. I'm not trying to say that Kellenic's there yet, but I still think that people see that potential in him. And not to mention, when you make 
that big of a trade uh, mm-hmm. that they did with it was Edwin Diaz, Robinson Cano over to the New York Mets. When you make that big of a trade, you're trying to hold on to that as long as you possibly can. So it wouldn't surprise me, but at the same time, I don't think Luis Castillo or Frankie Montas, either of those guys, in my opinion, I don't think either of them are worth a Jared Kalenic. Not, not yet. Hmm. What's interesting too is this is legit where they have a plus 36 run differential. That's higher than Toronto, higher than Tampa, higher than Minnesota. I mean, Houston and New York is just preposterous, especially New York. But I mean, they have the third best run differential in the AL. Like, and this all happened in a little over a month span. Like everything flipped. And I I don't know. Like, what would you do though if you're Depoto? Would you do anything to or or are you looking at it as like, hey, this group is fine. Like you said, Hanniger's coming back. We can just roll this back and we're fine. Or do you go, you know, as great as Gilbert has been, he's still 25. Flexen's 27. Robbie Ray's our ace at 30. But like, I need another veteran arm if we're going to make the playoffs and we're going to get out of round one. Like I need somebody else in this rotation. It can't just be those three leading the charge. As great as they've been, like I would feel better about somebody else like a Montas or something. That's funny. Uh- Obviously, when the season started, Mariners fans are just, just play the playoffs, please. Mm. And then 14-game win streak, now Mariners fans are like, World Series, baby. <laughs> I need to understand that right now, the Mariners just need to make it in the postseason. Whatever happens after that happens. But this team should not be building a team, in my opinion, to try and build a World Series roster. When you consider mm. youth you still have on this team. This team is built to win for a couple more years. I don't think you go hmm. all in this year, trade Derek Klenick, trade George Kirby. By no means trade George Kirby. Don't hmm. trade your potential guys that you could be using on your roster in the next year or two um, to make a World Series run. I think this team has shown that they're good enough to put themselves in a playoff position. Uh, the acquisition of Carlos Santana is a perfect example. You didn't have to give up. My, in fact, they all, all they had to give up was cash. Right. Uh, Santana, and he's been fantastic for him. Mm-hmm. Like I before, you're going to have Mitch Haniger coming back. I think if you're Seattle, you kind of do. I would like them to make more moves than they did last year. Last year, they got rid of Kendall Grayman, they brought in Abraham Toro. Wasn't a huge fan of that. But what you can always do if you're trying to be a team trying to make the postseason, always build bullpen. You can never have enough bullpen arms, and you can always add depth. If somebody goes down to injury, you have somebody right there to back them up. Uh, instead of Dylan Moore, who's hitting about one a buck ninety right now, maybe you add um, uh, a Tony Kemp from the A's or something, mm. some type of player like that. Like you always want depth, you always want bullpen arms. And if you want to throw Frankie Montas in the bullpen, maybe make a deal there. Mm. That's because that gives you that kind of that that uh, maybe a, a long relief type guy. It just kind of depend, or maybe you put Montas in the bull. Um, excuse me, in the rotation. You bump Chris Flex into the uh, bull. I don't know. Regardless. You just want, like, to speak to your point, like diversity. You want depth to be able to do different stuff if need be. Add some lefty bullpen arms. Um, I I don't have the list in front of me, but add depth, add bullpen. If you want to be a postseason team, that's something you can always do, and it's not going to cost you your entire farm system to do it. Yeah. Well, uh, what will cost your entire farm system is trading for Juan Soto at this point. Uh, not only your farm system, but your entire checkbook, because $500 million is now the rumored uh, number and figure Juan Soto has in mind, which, look, man, like that doesn't surprise me. Like, that, good for him. Shout out to him. Um, it's also weird to think about how different the negotiations, like me as a Braves guy, um, the Ronald Acuna 
contract versus what Juan Soto is going to get. Like it's unbelievable how different and the disparity between the two of those guys next deal will be. I mean, Ronald's current one and Juan Soto's next contract. It it's just going to be, I mean, it was already offensive. It was one of those deals when it happened, we were like, uh, the Albies Acuna contract, you were like, this does not sit well. Like it was one of those where like, this feels unethical what's happening here where this man should be the highest paid player on this team. And this is a unbelievable bargain for the Braves on both fronts. But um, Soto's out. And this was something that John and I had talked about. I want to pick your brain on is that like, I don't think the Nationals left a choice for Soto where it didn't matter the number. And this was something when you watch the Nationals and the Braves just uh, lost today, but they won the series and the Braves have really, really beat up on the Nationals this year. And one of the things you see when you watch these games, and I'm sure if you watched every Nationals game and you're a Nationals guy, you've seen like Juan Soto is not having fun. Like none of this is fun. You can tell it's rough right now for him. And he he's looking around. He's like, my protection is Josh Bell. Like Nelson Cruz is not here for the long haul. And like, he's probably out. Josh Bell is having an all-star type year. They're the, the farm system is in disarray. Like they have to move him and get value out of him. There's no protection. So he's walking more than he's hitting because no one's throwing him anything. Baseball is a long season. Baseball is it, it's a grind. And you were telling me Juan Soto wants to do 300 plus games before he has any real major league help to give him good stuff to hit. You can throw him all the money in the world. That's just a terrible way of living. Like it's just, it zaps the joy where this was something I monitor. I'm like, it doesn't matter about the money. Like the learners will spend. We've seen it. Like they've been one of the better ownership groups in baseball. It's just, there's no logical reason because it's so barren now around him he can't stay like you just can't. It's not fair to him. He will hate baseball if you put him in that situation for three years because no one's going to pitch to him. That's never going to happen. Teams are too smart. They're like, yeah, we'll just walk him. I will go to the next guy. Like I like why would we ever pitch to Juan Soto? And then you're like, well, what's the point of paying him all this money if we can't use Juan Soto to be Juan Soto? Does that make sense? No, it does. I mean, I was watching their Seattle Mariners were in town in D.C. and uh, it was I want to say it was the fourth or fifth inning, mm. second, third, two outs. Juan Soto's coming to the dish. Uh, it was Chris Flexen on the mound. First pitch, changeup, spiked. Second pitch, curveball, made it about maybe 50 feet, and then they put him on. Nelson Cruz had a ground ball, the shortstop, inning over. So, like, why would you pitch mm. uh, Juan Soto? And it's no disrespect to Nelson Cruz, who has 400 home runs, if not more, in his career. Um, but he's not the same player that he at least has been in years past, at least not so far this season. And the market for Soto is really interesting because mm. you could say that the market is only your rich teams, right? You could say, well, the market's only the Yankees, Mets, Dodgers, Padres, Giants, maybe the uh, Cubs, um, your, your highest spending teams, right? Mm. And that makes sense because if you're trying to sign Juan Soto to a $500 million deal, there's only so many teams that can do that. Cleveland's not going to be able to sign Juan Soto. Oakland's not going to be able to sign Juan Soto. However, what if Cleveland or Oakland or Tampa Bay, just kind of throwing teams out here, mm. have a trade package? Juan Soto doesn't have a um, non-trade uh, disclosure in his contract. Like the mm. Washington and technically trade him wherever they want to trade him. Whatever the best package is, they can trade him there. Cleveland can go acquire 
Juan Soto, hypothetically, they can acquire Juan Soto's talents understand, while also understanding that they're only going to have him for two years, three years at a time. Mm-hmm. I forget when he hits for agency. I want to say he has maybe two years left if I'm yeah. not. Um, again, hypothetically, you have a team that is a smaller market team, but maybe they're trying to compete right now. Maybe Tampa Bay, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if Tampa Bay just signed Wander Franco, they're not going to be able to sign Juan Soto as well. But a team mm-hmm. trying to win a championship right now, they have a chance to be contenders right now or at least in the next year or two. You acquire Juan Soto for a couple of years and you let him walk in for agency or hypothetically, if you're not in contention for whatever reason, you just trade him out again. Uh, so there's a lot of there's like a group over here saying there's only rich teams that are going to be vouching for Juan Soto because there's only certain teams that can afford him. But there's a part of me that's like if I'm the other 29 other teams, whether I can afford him or not, I'm still trying to acquire him depending on where I'm at talent wise and roster wise right now. Well, I guess the worry if you're a contender and you're still gonna have to give up the farm for him, even if you're not gonna pay him. Like you're still giving up an unbelievable rant. Like I don't even want to know what the final deal for Juan Soto is gonna be because I think it's gonna be one of the more lopsided trades in Major League Baseball history. Because by and large, to your point, I don't think where he gets traded to is where he stays. I don't think that's the team who gives him five hundred million dollars. Like I think it's kind of like a Carlos Correa thing, where like yeah, he bounced to minnesota but it's like he's not this is not where carlos correa is locking down the long-term big-time deal um i don't know like aaron judge we'll see what happens with him and what his market's like this offseason but (laughs) i don't know i like i don't know what will ultimately happen here but it, it just seems to me like it's inevitable the only teams that can offer who are both contending and can offer the kind of money to make it realistic where it's like, yeah, we'll take the risk on him uh, leaving in free agency in two years. But if we're going to give up this capital, it's like it's the Dodgers, number one, like they should be considered the favorites. Like if they want Juan Soto, they have the means to go get Juan Soto, the Yankees, and then uh, the Mets. I think you also have to throw in there and then the Astros. And I think that's it. I really do. Like there's teams that make sense. Like the White Sox, should be doing whatever it takes. The White Sox have not been able to figure out the right field spot. And I mean, how long, like how many Adam Eaton and AJ Pollock's are we going through before we really nail down the right field spot where it's like, let's just get a long-term answer there. Like, like Adam Eaton, like AJ Pollock, but you want to find somebody in that spot long-term. And they have, if you go back through the Rolodex of White Sox right fielders and what they've tried to do there, it has not been great. Um, but if you're you've had the season from hell, you have all this young talent, you're trying to win now, you're in a winnable AL Central. Like everyone <laughs> the Tigers and Royals can't get out of their own way. The twins are shaky, like they're not world beaters by any means, and you should be better. You should be the best team in this division by a landslide. Like that's who should get in on this, but we know Ryan Starr's not doing that. We know they're not paying five hundred million dollars or even the two year flyer, but I'm like do the two-year flyer. If you're the White Sox, that's the team. Like that, when I went through the list one by one, I was like, the team that makes the most sense is the White Sox. Like they should give up the farm and whatever they have left because A, this ownership group or this front office is out. Like if this doesn't get fixed, like Han's gone. So if you're Rick Han, you're like, just do it. Take a huge swing. Who cares? It's not going to be your problem if it doesn't work out anyway. Um, I don't know. What do you What do you think about White Sox and Juan Soto? The White Sox are definitely interesting when you consider the talent that that team already possesses, certainly. Yeah. John, you can even throw in young Makata. You can throw in guys who, like, they're major league guys you can literally throw right to the Nationals right now. No, yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think the uh, – I just don't know if the owner, 
It's certainly an option. It definitely is. Uh, I know John Hamner reported that the Padres could definitely be um, one of the top suited. They've shown a willingness to spend. Mm. Uh, they want to contend right now. That's interesting. I personally think San Francisco is the great Ooh. any team in baseball. So, you know that meme going around with uh, Brian Windhorse and yes. doing the pointy fingers because of the Utah Jazz? Yeah. Okay, so – this is what I'm looking at with San Francisco. So San Francisco won 107 games last year. They've taken mm-hmm. us back this season. However, they had Buster Posey's contract off the books last year. They had Johnny Cueto's contract get off the books last year. Um, they're going to have Evan Longoria's contract come off the books quickly. Um, they signed Brandon Crawford to a two-year extension, but that's obviously not a long-term commitment. Um, they got Mark Melanson off the books a couple years ago. So I could keep going on and on. All those contracts that Farhan Zaidi inherited when he uh, took the job as president of baseball operations in San Francisco, they're kind of off his book for the most part now with a mm-hmm. couple still lingering. They have nearly $100 million to spend. This last offseason, they refrained from signing any big-name guys. Mm-hmm. They re-signed Chris Bryant. They've gotten some criticism for it. And right now, this season, they've been struggling a little bit. It's just what the Brewers, and they're still in contention. But they're not 107 win San Francisco Giants right mm-hmm. now. They have all this money that they can spend, yet they didn't spend it last offseason. Why? Mm-hmm. Because at the shortstop position, they re-signed Brandon Crawford to a two-year extension. The biggest free agents available this last offseason were Carlos Correa, um, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. They were shortstops. Mm-hmm. And so hey, San Francisco is hanging around right now. One year off of 107 wins. They're still in playoff contention this season. They have all this money to spend. They have a top 10 farm system in baseball. Juan Soto is out there who's going to be demanding $500 billion. San Francisco has money. San Francisco has prospects. And they need a so direly need a middle-of-the-order bat. San Francisco makes a ton of sense logistically. I like that. I mean, they're like you said, they're a team that just feels like, well, they, they've been old. Like that's something that people don't realize. It's like they're not. This is not a young team by any means. This was not a team that was ahead of schedule last year. This was just like, oh, we kind of overachieved. We hired right. We brought in Andrew Bailey and friends, and we had this great coaching staff that just got the most out of the Discofani's guys like that all over this team. But eventually that runs out, and now Posey's gone. And what they also ran into, and I mean, this is <laughs> this was one of the things that I was worried about is that like, yeah, it sounds great in theory to just transition from first ballot Hall of Famer catcher to next first ballot Hall of Fame catcher. That sounds great. Like, at, when does that happen? Like, that's not a thing. Just like it's it was so clean to go from Posey to Bart, and you were like, well, that's not how baseball works. He might just be bad. He might just not be a major league ready guy. Like the Posey retirement hurt. And that was going to be a problem where you can't just pencil in this guy to take over for veteran first ballot Hall of Famer, no matter what he was at that point, Buster Posey. Like that was that was always odd to me of just moving past that going into the year. And with Bell, with Crawford, like you mentioned, with Longoria, you go up and down this list. The outfield, obviously, the weakest part of all this. Soto does make a lot of sense. I just wonder if they have the farm if they have it right now to give enough to Washington that would interest them. I'm not sure they have that, but they have the money. Like if they wanted to go down the $500 million guy, like for somebody like Soto is the guy you do it on. Like these guys don't just come up for trades ever. Like this is a new, new thing in major league baseball where this guy is going to be on the, like 
open market. We'll see what happens with Judge, but that's even a little bit different because the injury concerns and everything else. Soto's an all-time like unbelievable unicorn to pop up in trade negotiations and who will be a free agent and be ready to go in his prime. Just it, It's just so different. Guys like this don't become available at this point in their careers and playing at this level. If you're the Giants and you're Farhan, like you're definitely having meetings about this, right? Like you're talking about this. So Elliot Ramos is one of their top prospects in San Francisco. Mm. Marco Luciano is another one of their top prospects mm. be uh, available. And here's what you ask yourself if you're Farhan's AED in San Francisco. You ask yourself, okay, we love Elliot Ramos. We think he's going to be great. Is he ever going to be greater than Juan Soto? Mm. The answer is probably no. Like Juan Soto yeah. is generational talent. Best case scenario is he ends up being just as good as Juan Soto, but like you already know what you're going to get out of Juan Soto. So I think that's kind of the question you have to ask yourself. A lot of times, especially fans, they get so caught up, as you just mentioned, with like guys like Joey Bart, of the potential. Oh my yep. God, one overall prospect. What could he be? Well, we know what Juan Soto is. You take it goes back to our earlier conversation and the very beginning of this podcast. Uh, podcast. Yeah. It's hard to pass up the guarantee. So go mm. guarantee, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back uh, with some more Major League Baseball. All right, we're back here on the Chase Most Podcast with Danny Vietti of CBS Sports. Danny, we still have a couple quick things I wanted to touch on with you. Um, I'm curious. The Milwaukee Brewers are kind of the forgotten team here, right? Like, they just are plodding along, going to win the NL Central again. They're a team where... <laughs> the the Brewers are funny to me because if you're box score watching every day, there's not a weirder team to look at a box score for me than the Brewers where you go up and down the roster and you're like, I don't understand how they scored nine runs tonight. Like, I don't know where these runs are coming from. This lineup stinks. It should stink. Everyone is every, like you go up and down the list. And you're like, I don't know where the hitting's coming from. And yet they hit enough to win every year. They do enough. They deserve a lot of credit for winning the way they do. But they're a weird team to kind of forecast for the deadline. Like I don't, they're never going to make the big, the big splash. They're not going to do that. But I mean, the Cardinals are having a really good year. They're on just on the outside uh, looking in. I think there are seven games over 500, but they're, they're lurking. And if you're the Brewers, like, what do you add? Like if you're Stearns, like, what do you, what do you do? So the, the Yelich contract is really handcuffed. Um, mm. The Brewers were not before signing that deal with, Yelich, they were not known to be big spenders. Um, they were never the you know the big splashy guys. Uh, obviously, CC Sabathia comes up, but they obviously didn't end up paying guys like right. CC Sabathia. So they need Christian Yelich is who they need. That's mm. true. Like you could say, yeah, they should go get a bat, um, but they need 2019 Christian Yelich. Now, is he still there? That's the real question that comes about because uh, I had a uh, so by. Former uh, college coach, he actually just took a new gig at University of Nevada as their new head mm. coach. But, uh, before he accepted that job, he was head of player development with the Brewers. Mm. I was going through all these numbers with them, and I'm like, okay, Yelich has one of the hardest hard-hit rates in baseball. Um, his exit velocity is one of the best in baseball still. I'm not talking about 2019. I'm talking about right now. Mm. How I hit in 220, and then I looked. His launch angle has gone down each of the last three seasons. And so I texted, messaged, um, head of player development, Jake Kinley, and I'm like, does Christian know this? Like, I'm not uh, – this isn't rocket science. I'm not – I know how good you guys are in that Milwaukee front office with numbers and analytics. I'm not the first person to tell you this, but does Christian know this? 
and how is he dealing with it if he does know? And he got back to me and he said, Christian is very well aware of this, but it's, and he's not denying the numbers, but when you're a two-time or almost two-time NL MVP and all of a sudden you're being asked to do certain adjustments or certain switches, like, like he had a formula that worked for him and all of a sudden that formula it changed for, for whatever reason. And so it's hard for him to just say, Hey, or it's hard for a coach to be like, Hey, Christian, up launching. Like, like that's not a thing. You don't go up to a player and say, Hey, you need more launch to your swing. That's just not a real thing that you do with major league big ties, especially not format NL MVPs. Um, they need Christian Yelich. They need 2019, uh, 2018 Christian Yelich. That's who they really need. Is he still there? That's what they need to figure out. If he's not there anymore, the offense could use a boost. Is Luis Urias, is he your answer at third base? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, but the offense definitely needs a boost. The starting rotation and bullpen is very good. Their offense needs a boost. They need Christian Yelich. That's what that's what they really need. Yeah, there's a difference between going up to Yelich and uh, talking about launch angle and adjustments after an MVP type year versus Daniel Murphy. Like there, there's a difference between going to a utility guy and being like, hey man, you're, you're okay. You're fine. You scrapped to get here, but here's how we get you paid in two years. Like that's a different conversation than someone who's just been dominant playing a certain way and just has an MVP pedigree. Those are completely different conversations and you have to do it in a completely different way. Well, what do you think? Do you think Yelich, that person comes back from 2018, 2019, or do you think that's over? I think he's still there. When you look at his mm-hmm. in-depth numbers, like the talent obviously is still there. Um, his strikeout rate is up. Uh, his walk percentage is down a little bit. and uh, But you look at like chase rate. Chase rate's good. Like he's not chased mm-hmm. uh, pitches out of the zone. He's just everything he's hitting hard is hitting on the ground. Do I think that that player, that 2018-19 Yelich, is going to return this season? I can't say that confidently, not from what mm-hmm. I'm result-wise. So uh, I think he's still there. It's just a matter of tapping into that that potential, really. Interesting. Um, we'll end on this. Your fake Major League Baseball trade deadline trade that you've been tossing around the most lately that you would love to see. What's your favorite fake trade that you hope happens? Oh, boy. Juan Soto, San Francisco was definitely my the big one I've been talking about. Um, I would love to see Frankie Montas in a White Sox uniform. I think it would just mm. give him, um, for, the White Sox and the A's do have a relationship with making former trades as well. Um, we talked about Seattle a little bit. S- San Diego really mm. a move for they're going to get Tatis back. That's yep. they're they're going to get the best piece available at the deadline, and it's with yeah. That's Fernando Tatis Jr. So that's huge. But th- that lineup needs serious help. You cannot. I love Jurex and Profar. Mm. Can't rely on Jurex and Profar for 500, 600 at bats every season. That's just not a winning recipe. Luke Voigt is a great power piece. He can't be your number three hitter. Machado's fantastic. Tatis is fantastic. That lineup needs help. Eric Hosmer has averaged week by week over the last, like, since May 1st, has gone down each and every mm. week. That lineup needs serious help because their rotation's good, and they have a chance to really compete in the playoffs. San Diego needs to make a move for a bat. Trey Mancini, are the Baltimore Orioles going to sell? Is Garrett Cooper or the Miami Marlins going to sell? I would love to pinpoint certain names, but there's so many teams with this expanded playoff still in contention that we don't know who's going to be available. If Mancini's doubt, I might drive to Baltimore myself and just <laughs> uh, protest outside of Camden Yards because – 
you're having an all like this is unbelievable. The Orioles, I, <laughs> if you did that to your fans, you moved the fan favorite, the guy who stuck through this rebuild, and you're you're finally breaking through, man. You're 500, and we're almost in August. You this nobody had the Orioles here. Nobody had them here. How many games back are they of the? Yeah, they're three games back of the Red Sox right now. Nobody had that. Seven games back of the Blue Jays. Like they're now where. I, I don't know, man. You have to have some veterans in a part of these rebuilds. And that was something that we've always I, I, like just railed against is like when these teams do these teardowns, it's like they don't sign any veterans. They don't sign. This is part of the labor dispute where it's like you're not taking care of the older guys where it's like this idea of, oh, we'll just put a triple A guy who has no business being in the bigs, but he's a lot cheaper than paying that player X who's been doing it for 12 years and has been waiting for this payday and should be getting like a one or two year deal with a a rebuilding team and get paid nicely and just kind of uh, mentor and help those guys. And that's like Mancini, obviously a great story being a cancer survivor and everything else, but like, he's also just a really good player and you need him. You need Mullins. You need these guys to stick around and see you through this rebuild. So when these young guys are coming up, the retro into the world, they have the veterans in the locker room who've been through all that and keep them going. I really, that would, I think bum me out more than any other trade deadline move. If the Orioles sell, if they sell, I that would just bum me out to no end. I hope they don't sell, but I also hope they don't buy because I don't want to see them get rid of, for example, Grayson Rodriguez for... Because hmm. it's not like the Orioles are in this... I know the Orioles have been a bad team for the past four or five years, but they were just in the playoffs like in 2015. This isn't a yeah. Seattle situation. Like, they can afford one more year of missing playoffs. Like, you got excitement back in Camden Yards... That's all you can ask for. I think already, like right now, the Baltimore Orioles can be very happy with where they are at in this organization. You would not have said that three months ago about this organization, but it's already been a success story this season. So I think you just kind of like stand pat and see what this team that you currently have. I'd be happy if they didn't sell, but also didn't buy. I think that's a win right there. That's fair. I also don't think Michael uh, Elias is going to do anything like that. I don't think Rodriguez is on the move. He doesn't strike me as that kind of GM. I don't think he's moving any of these top prospects. I don't think that's going to be a thing. Danny, what can the good folks check out from you? we got Wake and Rake and everything else, but uh, what would you like to plug as we wrap up here late on a Sunday? Yeah, uh, got a lot of MLB draft content on the CBS mm-hmm. uh, social handles, and then obviously Wake and Rake Pod will have a new episode, me and Brooksy. We're going to have new daily headline type deal going with the wake and rake pod so yeah okay listen to us all the written works on cbsports.com so uh, check us out when you're not listening to chase here there you go i like it and hey uh will gave spencer strider his nl rookie of the year uh mid-season award so they're a friend of the pod you and will are a friend of the pod going forward so i appreciate uh, you looking out for america's favorite uh mustache pitcher uh pitcher so there you go danny thank you so much for making the time i greatly appreciate it we'll have to check back in again soon Sure. Hey, I enjoyed this a lot, Chase. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I appreciate that. All right, y'all. That'll do it for this edition, the Monday, July 18th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Most Podcast. Uh, thank you again to Danny for coming on this edition of the program. It's great to talk all things Major League Baseball. Danny, so if you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If that is indeed how you listen to today's program and you have not already done so, it takes just a couple seconds to do and it helps other people find the show and it helps the Chase Thomas Podcast continue to grow here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Um, new content every 
single day on this podcast feed. No one else is doing this on on this front. So hope you guys continue to join, uh, join along and listen along as we put out all kinds of national sports content every single day here on the Jason Must Podcast. So thank you as always for your support and I will be back with a new program tomorrow. Oh yeah, all kinds of stuff jam-packed on a Tuesday. Thank you as always. You guys have yourself a great Monday. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.